Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? Good. Uh, I don't know about you, but that exercise that you came up with the last time we talked, I was like, oh, that sounds like real fun. And then I went to do it. And I'm like, that was that. I, I don't, I surely didn't even do it right. Like, I don't even know. I went to do it and I was like, uh, okay. Maybe I forgot how to, what the plan was, but it was wicked hard. Yeah. I realized I don't believe in anything. Is the part <laughs> step one? What do I believe? Yeah, that was like the thing that I found to be like most outrageous was how do you get to be this old and f- not have just a ready like pop 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 you know here's a couple things in which I believe and then I was like oh my god how am I parenting like what <laughs> uh, it's so I, I I thought I I I did it anyway oh god I'm like blowing this thing out. Um, I did it anyway, and um, and it was a struggle. And mm. but I also wondered if it'd be interesting to like, which we can't do here. But like, if somebody else that's close to me could tell me what I believe in based on like how I behave. Oh, we could do that to each other. That would be interesting. Because uh, one, th- I like, I did, I wrote down a few beliefs, and then mm. I did like, well, what's a cultural take? What's a religious take? And like, what are my actions related to that belief? Because right. I didn't want to, I didn't, I knew going into it that I would have beliefs that I don't actually like do anything about. And so mm. was the, <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So then my kind of, my kind of backstory on my experience was like, I was like, it was really easy for me to think of stuff I believe in a work context because I think about it all the time and I write about it all the time, but it's all, but they're also like kind of minor compared to life beliefs. So like, like our building is nuts. I've got a book called that. I know I believe it. I know why I believe it. You know, I've got tons of evidence of all kinds, you know, so, but, but that's not, I didn't feel like that was the kind of thing we were talking about. It was more like stuff that is more directly, um, had a more direct effect on my actions. And, and it's funny, it's almost like the older you get, I feel like some of that stuff might, was very much in flux in high school. It was a lot more conscious when you're really deciding, like, you know, are you going to, are you going to, um, give into this peer pressure? Are you going to be a smoker? Are you going to, are you going to be a rebel? Are you going to be a, a rule follower? Those things are all like really in play back then, or at least in my mind. Um, but at the same time, having little kids, you're like, some stuff seems kind of dialed in right away on day one. And, you know, maybe I'm imagining it, but there's, it's almost like some of it seems like DNA. Uh, but regardless, by the time you're 50 ish, that stuff is so baked in that it's more, it's more like values and identity than beliefs. You're like, it's almost like so obvious that you don't, you forget that it was a belief. Like here's an example. I went back and read, I I read a book years ago called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And when Jenny was leaving New York and she wanted to, they were thinking about starting a business and like what, you know, she was asking me, they were both asking me like, and what, what should we read? Like, are there some good books? And I said, yeah, read the E-Myth. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to skim it and just make sure it still makes sense. Because I read it like 20 years ago, maybe more. And so I skimmed it and I was like, holy crap. This book is why I believe loads of stuff. I thought I thought of it or I thought it was from experience or I thought it just made sense. But no, I like I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh my God, this is, I remember reading this sentence and being like, yes, this is correct. And then boom, internalized. You know what I mean? So, but the key point is I completely forgot where I got it from and right. it just, it just became internalized, became me, became me, like part of me and going back and looking at it all those years later, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's kind of scary. 
when I think back to some of the other books I read in high school when that stuff was more in flux, like uh, Psycho-Cybernetics or um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance or, or uh, Hitchhiker's Guide or Lord of the Rings or Dune. You know, it's like what what pseudo-religious uh, psychobabble or brilliant wisdom did I get out of those things that just made sense to me or it spoke to the, like some some pre-existing worldview or some something like that and I just internalized it and boom that became my it's almost like your religion a set of beliefs that are unquestioned right so it's like geez it's kind of scary like I hope I'm glad I didn't read other stuff <laughs> right yeah no I I have similar experiences with with uh books like that as well where you know going like reflecting back on okay so lord of the rings is so great right but is it really that great and is the great thing about it that like i am the hero of my own life and i'm like reading about the hero but like what's really if you deconstruct that book and and go through it like what is it really getting at like what is the character arc what is the plot like what are the lessons learned right is it a, what's the, what's the world building like what is what are the pieces of it that make it so compelling and you know as a 13 or 14 year old or whatever it was it's probably the first one right like here's like a tiny creature in a huge world with you know sharp knives all around him and oh my god it works out and he's <laughs> he has a pile of gold at the end and, and uh, yeah it's heroic right yeah and so like therefore it's awesome but like who who knows like what uh what else i picked up out of that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i don't know yeah uh ayn rand so i i read uh the those books i don't know probably in the early mid 2000s mm-hmm. and they definitely had an inf- influence on me i mean i would i didn't like you know turn around and um you know become like an uh, ayn rand devotee in mm-hmm. in any way shape or form and i was like this is not a take that I receive generally, you yeah. know, like, Oh, like, this is different. Her, ad, her, her worldview is different from what her worldview is. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and so that had an effect on me for sure. And, but like, how did that weave, weave in? I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. Like how that influences me from day to day. You know? mm. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Okay. So I think I certainly established for myself and it sounds like you had the same thing where it was just like these these things that surely drive every decision or many, many decisions throughout the day, I'm not even conscious of. And so then, and then I was like, all right, let me think about this. Besides the work stuff, what, what are, what are, what I would call, what would I call beliefs? And then once I start to kind of unearth them, then I was like, well, they're everywhere. It kind of, it was kind of like, it was kind of like, well, I believe this, or I believe that, or I believe the other. And there's a million like little ones that are kind of like stones on the ground. There's just a million of them but they were all inconsequential kind of like small ones. I was like, well, where are the big ones? Where are the big foundational rocks underneath? And I came up with a couple and I was looking for ones that I thought were like, like what ones came from religion or which ones came from culture, which one, like, how do they, how do they manifest themselves? And, uh, and obviously I'm like the super like least religious person ever. But, um, but I do think, I believe that like the golden rule or like the first commandment, is a good way to live. Like, I believe that, so like some of the ones I came up with were like, like do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's a great way to live. I feel like that's a great way to live. I believe that, try to live up to it. Uh, Another one that I have no scientific evidence for whatsoever is that I 
I genuinely believe that the majority, not just by a little bit either, I believe that the majority of people deep down are good. And we could talk about what good means, but I do believe that most people are fundamentally good and it pays to give people the benefit of the doubt in day-to-day relations that the thing that they just did to you was not because they're a bad person. They're not even thinking of me. They're, there's no intention to cut me off in traffic or whatever. Like, you know, I, I, well, when I, when I do it, it's, it's circumstance when they do it, it's a character flaw. Right. And I know it. Right. So I, I, I feel like I have, I'm pretty good. I think in the scheme of people, I know I'm pretty good about like, um, not being too hypocritical about things like, like, oh, that person cut me off. Like I got to get back. I can never do that. I don't honk people. You know, I just, I'm just a super passive driver. I'm sure that pisses lots of people off behind me because I'm not rushing to fill the gap in front of us in the intersection or whatever. But it, that's just one example. I mean, I, I fundamentally mm-hmm. believe that peop, most people are really, really, I don't want to say doing their best at all moments, but they're, they're trying. They're more or less trying. They're just like, maybe, uh, man, it, uh, I'm, not trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to say all people are perfect, not even close. And I, I think most people could try harder, but I do think yeah, let me, let me few people let me, are Let me jump in like for us. a second. So like, like if you, like pe- there are, I think you would agree some people... Uh, do bad things intentionally, but I think what you're saying is if they were if they were treated in a positive way for long enough, they would they would res- resort back to their natural position, which is like I I don't I don't want to be stealing, I don't want to be violent, I but like this is where I am because of all the dominoes that have fallen before, and you're you're saying that that's like an an unfortunate and unnecessary condition for them to be in. Let me. That there's some dangerous territory there that I don't agree with, or, or not th- that I wouldn't, that I'm not prepared to stand behind, um, because you know, like mobsters think they had to do it, right? It's like I had no choice. Like this, these are the cards I was dealt. Like you would have shot the guy too. It's like yeah, but I wouldn't be in your position. Like maybe I would have made the decision if I were you, but you've made a lot of really bad decisions in my opinion that got you into this place in the first. So I'm not not willing to go there. I, I think it's, I think I'm thinking of it in a much more day to day public interactions with people. It is, it has been my experience that if you just, if you just give somebody the benefit of the doubt for a second, you can find, you will find that they are not an idiot or, um, an evil person or, or, uh, cruel that they were just not paying attention to that, you know, and it's more circumstantial and it's really easy to get someone. It's really easy to get a smile in return. If you give one, it's like, right, right. You know, and, and what, what you are reflecting out to the world does get reflected back to you. Maybe that's another belief. Like you project your world, you, you project your worldview and the world reflects it back. I've, se- oh, I've seen that so many times. I'm sorry, bitchy resting face person. I'm sorry, but that's just the way those the cards you're dealt. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm actually, this is a lot, a lot. Uh, I feel like it's, it's smoke going through my fingers. It seemed very con- like most people are good. Seems like an easy thing to say, but when you start to poke at it, it turns into smoke. But no, so so keep keep going. It, hit hit the headlines of, of the things. You, so golden rule: people yeah. are good generally. Well, maybe this is a better way to say it. This is a better way to say it. If you give people the chance, they will rise to the occasion. That is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, for example, I've done a couple of things. Not as many as I probably should have, but I've done some things that where you know, like charity type things. And, and people, it's, it, it shouldn't be, I guess, I mean, shocking is the word I'm trying not to say, but it's shocking how much generosity people will bring to the table when you start. It's amazing. It's like this, it's like this untapped oil reserve or something or something less 
damaging than oil, but like it's this untapped reserve of goodwill that's just sitting there waiting to be released. And it's hard to believe if you're if you're in if you sit in tra- rush hour traffic every day, or you spent you know ten minutes a day or ten hours a day on Facebook or Twitter, it seems impossible to believe this. Or you read the bad news every day, it seems impossible to imagine that there's this untapped reservoir of goodwill just sitting there waiting for someone to open up the spigot. But I've I've unlocked it a couple times, and it's great. You know, like when I did that Starbucks card thing, that was great. And when I did that, not not great that I did it, but it was amazing what happened. No, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when Marianne at the waitress at Blake's in the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands, she got stomach cancer, had no health insurance. And I was like, I'm like, I was just so, I was like, this is bullshit. This is so unfair. She's like the nicest person in the world. And, and so like, and I was broke, you know, I was a struggling musician. So I was like, what can I do? And I was like, I'm going to do a benefit somehow and organize this thing and completely paid for all of her medical bills. And it wasn't because it wasn't because I contributed a dime. I didn't even do that much work. It was just like, I'm going to do this. God damn it. And, I, you know, I made flyers and I organized the thing and I got somebody to donate the venue and I printed up tickets for a raffle and I got all these businesses to donate stuff. And then we, pulled, you know, when people were buying 200 bucks worth of tickets, you just give me the whole book, you know, and, uh, you know, who knows, we probably owe taxes on that or something. I don't know, but, <laughs> but to see, to see the reaction of all these people, and there was a big concert you probably were there you know there's all these people and it was this you know it's like super kumbaya lovey-dovey hippie shit but it's right there it's right there every day right you probably have opportunities to like unlock that and i'm not good enough to do it every day i can only think of those two examples which uh, you know so like once every 25 years or so yeah I, I i go for it but i see it at karate school all the time too all the time because they're great at it like the the instructors they're really good at that uh i'm much more uh impatient than they are they're much more patient than me so it's like wow that was really cool yeah so so i guess the belief is people will rise to the occasion if given the opportunity that's better than all people are good that's more more what i'm trying to say people step up yeah even better all right someone usually has to go first what was another one another one was uh this is pretty this is getting pretty close to it's getting pretty close to my business stuff, but I think it's it's right on the it's right on the precipice because it's also it's also like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But I I think value is subjective, which is um, value is subjective. Nobody's worth anything. Nothing is worth anything in the abstract. So like this, so this is pretty controversial because for a variety of reasons. But when somebody says my time's worth a hundred bucks an hour, or this seventy five Camaro is worth ten thousand dollars, or whatever. It's well it's an ox- to to seven point nine 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 billion people. It's worth zero. <laughs> that's the right. That's my exact point. It's right. like if it were true that objectively it was worth that amount of money, then the first person who had that amount of money would buy it. That would it would they would almost be forced to buy it. Yeah, because it's a property of the object. But totally agree. value is not a property of the object or the person or the action. It's a perception in the mind of the observers. So every observer there, including the person, let's just keep it simple. And like, I'm selling a 75 Camaro and the value in my mind, I'm one of the observers is probably higher than most people, but sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes you find a Picasso at a garage sale. So the seller is like the perception in the mind. So what it's worth, the value is different in the mind of every, if there are 10 people there, 10 people have a different value in their head of what the thing is worth. It is not a property of the object. It's not a property of the Picasso or the Camaro or 
uh, a back rub or anything or a Starbucks. So, but the problem is our language, our language betrays that truth. What I would consider that to be a truth. I think it's easy to demonstrate. It's super easy to demonstrate. And anytime you don't buy something, you're demonstrating that it's not worth that much to you. Like every time you walk past something that has a price tag that you have enough money for, you're demonstrating that it's not worth that to you. So, so the, the problem is that in uh, traditional economics or macroeconomics, there's this notion of a clearing cost, which is the, the amount of money, the, the price tag on a commodity really that will clear the market, that will balance the supply and demand so that every single one sells and nobody else wants one. But what that, what that does is it creeps into the language as this, a 75 Camaro in this condition is worth $4,000. Is, to everybody that's is. interested in a Camaro. No, to everybody. Like the language says everybody. It's like a universal truth. A 1974 oh, gotcha. Camaro right. is worth $4,000, period. That's what the language is telling us. It's implied. I would say that when someone says that to me, they're implying that to someone who wants it or they're saying that um, really. Or, or to the person that won't sell it for less. Yes, 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 yes. Perfect. Yes, exactly. You're getting it. So the the other way that they, what they mean is I checked the Kelly Blue Book value, and I can probably get $4,000. I can probably find someone who will spend $4,000 on this quality 74 Camaro. That's what they're, I think that if, if pressed, I think everyone would agree. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. But the point is that I will be able to find someone that will spend that much. And I'm like, yeah, but, but I see it with freelancers all the time. They're like, my time's valuable. And I'm like, no, it's not. If people so let, me po- let me poke at that for a second. Yeah, so go for it. I agree. But I just want to understand like how it works at the extreme. Yes. So like if I, um, I just saw this uh, YouTube of a guy uh, going to a, a barn find of cars mm-hmm. and there was a Shelby Mustang in mm-hmm. it. And so you've got the widow who has this and many other cars that are in, you know, just rotten shape in, yeah. and, uh, and you've got the buyer. And so they hired a third party who's an expert in Shelby to assess the vehicle and they yeah. agreed right. that this person will, will set the price. So say, say that third party was not identified mm-hmm. and the widow got in touch with the, uh, the, the buyer yep. and the buyer offered them 25% of what the appraiser would have said and which mm-hmm. would have definitely sold on the market. Like if, mm-hmm. if with a little more effort, and a little bit more access to more with a little more effort mm-hmm. uh what what she would have sold without that been yeah uh, she left money on the table like a lot of money on the table she didn't because she had the appraiser come in but right, had right. she if, not had right. the appraiser yeah, yeah that's what i meant so if you yeah. leave money on the table i think can people still say that their time is worth more they just haven't found the right people to buy it and that's that's a fantasy to chase right mm-hmm. like I, I i i am more valuable i just have to find the right people now like the question mm-hmm. is like, if you've never made a sale, you might want to question. <laughs> right. Have, so yeah. if somebody said my time's worth a hundred dollars an hour, I would say, well, there's an easy way to prove that get people to pay you a hundred dollars an hour and have them be happy that they did. So then you would prove to me that this person, not the whole world, but this person values your time at a hundred dollars an hour and they keep coming back for more. So that means that yes, you have proven that's the experiment like and it, and it would be validated. So like the hypothesis is my time's worth a hundred dollars an hour. And I find a person, it's easy for me to find more people. It's still not fair to say my time is worth $100 an hour, but you could start saying my time, I'm, I bill myself out as a, at $100 an hour. That is a fact. And I'm worth more than 40 an hour. I'm not sure exactly what I'm worth, but like 40, I, I, I feel is, like more, I feel like 
I could find somebody for 80 bucks an hour. Yeah. I'm getting paid 40 an hour right now, but I just <laughs> can't get the right people. Right. So your example, which is a great one, uh, the, the thing that you're bringing up is this innate sense of fairness where there's a couple of scenarios that can happen. Let's say the appraiser's out of the scenario and, and this widow doesn't know that this car is worth a million dollars just for round numbers. And, and she's like, oh, well, I don't know. It's a used car. Maybe, you know, it, it's, it looks like it's in good shape. Will you give me $2,000 for it? And there's no, the, there, there's some conditions here. Does the buyer know what it is? If the buyer doesn't know what it is and he says, yeah, what about 1500 and talks are down. What it, but, but what it is, 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 is also like a rabbit hole, right? Like, like what it is, is also like, can be a bunch of bullshit. Like it's still people infusing value in a thing for no reason other than that, that they've decided to do that. Like they want, there's um, only one reason, only one thing creates value and that's desire. If nobody wants uh, yeah. it. Yeah. Well done. That is well, awesome. I that's love what that. I say all day. <laughs> that's my line. So it's like, yeah, that's the only thing. There's no such thing. I mean, need is a thing, but it still boils down to desire because people, my, my, my ignorance of the, a Pokemon card that I have mm -hmm. being the, you know, the, secret rare double hollow you know mm. you know banana split sunday card mm -hmm. um doesn't change the fact that it is wildly valuable to many many people many people right so the the thing so let's just i'm gonna go straight to like the obvious situation the, the worst case scenario that people the people will get all up in arms about is is like what they perceive to be a someone uh what's it called uh knowledge and equity or uh, asymmetric information, asymmetric information where the, the widow knows nothing really about cars and the buyer knows it's very sexy. lots about cars. I didn't see the widow was female. That was you being sexist. <laughs> oh, I guess widow I is gendered, female. I freaking gendered the shit out of that widow. <laughs> so, so that's the case that people that really gets people's rankles up where they feel like uh, the widow was paid unf unfairly for the car. And there is a there is a studied thing. I don't know how scientific you can call it, but it's been studied and it's repeatable. It's called inequity aversion. And when two parties exchange something, in this case, it would be some amount of money for a for the a million dollar or well a Camaro that will almost surely sell for a million dollars. Or no, what did you say, a Shelby? Um, so if if one party like both parties will profit. So if, if it's a million, if, if let's just, I'm going to call it a million dollar car for simplicity. If, it, if somebody gives somebody else, Bob gives Alice $3,000 for a car he knows is worth a million and doesn't tell her, then it triggers an equity aversion where if she, when she finds out, or if she finds out, then she would, would rather not have the $3,000. Now she's $3,000 better off than she was, but he profited so much more in the exchange that she's going to feel unfairly treated and would rather not even have the $3,000. So in the study goes like the study goes, two people are walking down the street and they both see $10 laying on the ground. And one of them's a little bit quicker than the other and grabs the 10 $1 bills and says, Oh, Hey, here you go. And gives the other person a dollar. The person who received the dollar is a dollar better off than they were, but it triggers an equity aversion regularly. Maybe it needs to be a hundred dollars or whatever for the to matter to the people, but to college students doing these sort of tests, getting in these in these uh, psych tests, they get pissed and they'd rather not have the dollar and they'd say, "Screw you, we're not friends anymore." Kind of approach, which it seems irrational because why would they give away a dollar? 
it's a free dollar, but it feels unfair because the other person, they both happened across the money at the same time. One was quicker and got the whole thing. But generally when you ask people, they feel like it should be split 50, 50. Why? Right? Why? The one person got it first. So it's the same thing. Like, like if you win the lottery and somebody feels like they should get, well, it's a little bit different, but they feel entitled to like, oh, well, I helped you that one time and you could at least give me a little, you know, cause there's such a massive disparity between, um, the, the profit of the two parties. So there's this thing called mutual profit. You know, when you go buy a coffee from like a, a little cafe and the owner is the only person there and you're like, you're like, here you go. And she's like, thanks. And then she gives you the coffee and you're like, thanks. You both said, thanks. Why is that? Because you both profited. She wanted the $5 more than you want, than you wanted it. And you wanted the coffee more than she wanted it. So it's a, it's a trade. It's like when two kids trade a red balloon for a green balloon. Neither one was more expensive. Like one of them just likes green better and the other one likes red better. So they're both happier. Yeah. I mean, it's happening all the time. It's like, it's that, that sense you were saying about fairness, right? Like Mm -hmm. the inequity of knowledge and then the revelation of the inequity. Right. And like, uh, I, George got, we got a box of, uh, Pokemon cards years ago and George started just giving them away at school. And (laughs) oh my God, it's going to crash the economy. He's going to crash the Pokemon economy. We were an open house and one of the dads came up to me. He was like, here, 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 have, have these back. I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? Like, we didn't, we don't care. You know, like it's fine. He have them, you know? And, uh, and I never even looked them up to find out like what, you know, what he was concerned about. But, uh, you know, I, I get that they are worth, you know, the, amounts yeah, the of implication money. that, that George was handing yeah, out $10 yeah. bills. George yeah. was, George was, was ignorantly, you know, giving, giving hundred dollar bills out you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. Yeah. But you know, we, we didn't pay for them either. Somebody gave the whole box to us, you know? So it, like, it didn't matter. And he was like, I don't know. He was like seven years old. Like nobody, nobody cared. Right. Know? Right. But you can imagine a scenario where let's say the buyer didn't know that the car was, that he ended up ultimately sold the car in one day for a million dollars. If he didn't know that he might feel like he, that that his reputation this is what this is the issue this is why that the friends get mad at each other or the friend gets mad for only getting a dollar is that the reputation takes a hit of the other person because you're that kind of person yeah that, you're the that jackass would take advantage of someone who didn't know and so he he might say Whoa. oh wait wait you're wait that wait who who gets upset the person that took more money or the person that got no less? other way around yeah the person the person who who so let's stick with the car example because it's more obvious so, uh, car fanatic buys the car for $3,000. Didn't know it it's was, worth, it's worth 70 figured it was worth f- five. Yeah. Somebody gives him a million for it. Now he's like, a lot of people would feel like would fear that this information would somehow become known and that the, whether or not the widow felt bad about it or was angry that she was taken advantage of might feel like, wow, people are going to think I knew that. And I totally took advantage of her, even though he gave her $3,000 that she didn't have before. She didn't want the car. So it was a, in one sense, it was a fair trade, meaning that both people are happy. But when somebody profits so much more in the transaction, it triggers this inequity aversion. And, and it can happen on both sides, especially if it's accidental. So that I, I could totally imagine a person in that situation being like, oh my God, I got a million dollars for that car. I need to go back to that lady and give her like 10 grand at least, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. This used to happen to Mike all the time. You know, you some same exact story, a, prof, a Brown professor would die 
we'd get called to go buy all the books and he would just he would walk in he'd look around he'd be like i'll give you two thousand dollars for the whole library you know without going through individual books and there'd be hundreds or, or thousands of books sometimes and we'd be there all day and, they, they, and the and the people there could have been dancing in the hallway just yeah uh, oh, I'm so excited to get $2,000. Yeah, it's the kids who are probably already grieving and they're just, they, now it's their responsibility to clean out the house. Oh my God, what a huge job. And, and well, oh wow, like a couple thousand bucks. That's great, you know, and, and they're going to move them out. Like we would have paid you to take them away, you know, so uh, we were just going to throw them out, stuff like that. And uh, I, I've been there more than once, but I remember one specific time where there's a couple of good stories from the specific one. We're going through these books. It's an abandoned house and, uh, um, and he pulls out one, actually I pulled it out and I'm like, this was the heaviest book I ever picked up. Like it was, it was weirdly heavy for its size. It felt like it was made out of metal and like a solid chunk of metal. And I open it up and the whole thing is like these lead plates of, it was paper, but it was like lead plates of like Celtic art from, from like 200, I don't know, thousand years. It was like crazy old book. And I'm like, dude, this, this seems like this book is different. And he, it was like worth thousands and thousands of dollars, just that one book. And so he went back to him and he's like, I cannot in good, in good conscience, I cannot take this. I got to pay you extra for this book because he knew, because again, he, he yeah. knows it's like a, he, he's confident. Because he doesn't want to be that guy. doesn't want to be that guy. And he's confident that he can get, I don't know, $50,000 for this book. So there, there is, he's still taking a risk. He could be wrong about that. You know, yeah. it could, the market could fall out or it could turn out that the book, I don't know, there's something wrong with like, it. And that's not like... That's not necessarily like, oh my God, like, let me just shine your halo. Like that's wanting to make sure that a reputation is like, like you said, like a reputation is intact. Right. So the next time he doesn't like feel or be perceived as a vulture at the next, uh, you know, estate sale. Right. For a species that's community oriented, it's self-preservation to, to not have people in your wake feeling like you took advantage of them. So Another another good story is uh, he's same exact story. It happened all the time. People would be like, he'd be like, oh, I'll give you a couple thousand bucks and I'll just get everything out of here. We'll be done in two hours. And they're like, yes, thank you. Yes. He pulls one book out and it rattles and he opens it up. And you know, when people like cut out the inside of a book, there's like yeah. a diamond bracelet hidden inside of it, like a bunch of jewelry and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, so someone would argue like you'd think a jerk would be like, sweet, stuff it in their pocket because obviously no one knew about it. But of course he didn't do that. You know, he's like, oh, I found this. It's not really a book per se. Here's this, all this jewelry. They're like, oh my God. So yeah, it's, it's self-preservation. I think inequity aversion is, is, it comes from, you can, you can explain it from an evolutionary standpoint, but it does kind of shock people. It's like, well, it shocks engineering mindset people like I, like I am, like you are to a certain extent. You, you're just like, but that doesn't make sense. Why would they throw away the dollar? You know, it's like when I got a raise at, at Brookline Liquor Mart one time, they're like, oh good news. You got a ra I got you a raise. Awesome. I need more money. I like more money. And they were like, yeah, it's a, a quarter an hour. I was like a quarter an hour. I was so pissed. Right. Why? It makes no sense. I mean, it does make sense, but rationally it doesn't because it's more money. And I was like, keep it, forget it. I don't want you to feel like you did something nice for me because you didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So this is completely unrelated, but it's, it's, I can't, I can't help myself. So have you heard about the fallacy of sunk costs? Oh yeah. So I just, just to, just to uh, stroke each other for a second. Like, I love this because yeah. this actually plays out all the time. Like all the time, it, it, a month doesn't go by where I don't try and like convince somebody in this house about the, the sunk cost fallacy. I'm like, we, you do you want to pay for this thing twice? You know, like we have, 
you know, these tickets to the theater. Yeah. Uh, we were planning on going to the theater. We spent $150 to go to the theater. The day arrives and we have this other commitment that will make it very painful if we go to the theater. And it's like, oh, but we can't. We spent $150 on those tickets. And it's like, yeah, but right now we need to do this thing. Like, I already paid once. You want me to pay? And it's almost like with food, you know, where, uh, where uh, you know, like, I, I'm trying to think how this, this plays out with food. It's, I think it's it, where it comes in. Oh, it's we paid for the food and I'm full but finish it because we paid for it. It's like, but now I'm paying for it twice because now I paid for it and I'm jamming excess calories into me. But like, mm -hmm. there's this real compulsion to get the value of what you paid for in the past, but it ignores where you are today. Yeah. So there's a great, there's a great, so the tickets, the tickets metaphor is perfect because it's, it's like this. Imagine instead, imagine, so you bought the tickets a month ago and then something you'd rather do comes up on the day. And so there you are on the Sunday show is tonight but also your your other engagement is tonight that you'd rather go to what if instead of you think instead of instead of in that story you bought the tickets imagine that pete calls you up you know you're planning to go to this other soiree for the i don't know the president of the united states invited you to come to a a black tie dinner and pete calls you up and says hey i've got tickets for this show i can't go do you want them for free you're gonna say no i'm we're going to dinner with the president no, no, you're gonna say no, thank you, you know? And so the trick is you need it's, and I can't do it. Like I, I, it's very hard for me to escape the gravitational pull of sunk cost. I have to really think it through. It's not, this is one that I'm very good at. Yeah. I'm, I'm very good at this one. Christy <laughs> has a really hard time with this one, but I'm very, cause I'm like, what do we need to do right now? I don't get, I don't care what happened before. Yeah. So the, so if you imagine like in the scenario with you and Christy, if it's like, those tickets are a gift from an earlier you to current you. You don't have to accept the gift. Just like if Pete called you, you'd definitely say no. You'd be like, no. I mean, not in that tone, but I mean, you'd be like, no way. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to. And I would probably talk like that to him. He's a <laughs> right. But that's exactly what it is. It's like that, that, that old you sent a gift to future you. You don't have to accept it. You know, you bought a gift for your future self and you're like, you know what? Actually, no, thanks. It does, totally. the, the problem, this is where I get in, I'm not great at it, I'm not great at, I'm great at seeing it, but I'm not great at resisting it, is, well, why am I making all these bad decisions? Like, why am I sending all these gifts to my future self that I end up throwing in the garbage? You know, where's that disconnect coming from? Like, we do we do it with food all the time, like Erica. Food, food's the big, food's a big one for people on that yeah. one. She, she, we throw out, Sunday night, like Monday's her shopping day, and it's like when our milkman comes. So Sunday, like, and, and Sunday night's garbage eve because the garbage man comes in the morning. And almost every time, it's like we fill up the entire garbage can in the kitchen. With what with, was in the fridge. With what was in the fridge. Yeah. And it's like. Oh, what's that? We didn't cook vegetables? Oh, I didn't make that uh, YouTube recipe for ramen that requires, like, uh, you know, bone marrow from humans in Senegal. Like. I Delicious. I have it in the fridge. It's why haven't I made that meal yet? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, what so I think there's something there in sunk cost, but I, I don't see it as much I don't think about it as much on that like sort of weekly basis. The one that the killer one is like I spent all this money to go to law school and I found out that I hate practicing law, but I have to keep doing it because I spent all this money on law school. And it's like, oh yeah. man, that's bad. That's that's when you really gotta <laughs> try and understand it 
there's a good well actually i think it's the reverse i think the kitchen one is the more relevant one because like your the law one was like okay i was headed in this direction for any number of reasons this is a huge decision that had you know multi-year impact i can understand that but like why is it every week I'm throwing out $40 worth of food? Like, yeah, maybe we're not buying the right stuff. Like that is a reasonable place to reflect on the sunk costs. And then in yeah, between you, you, you have these, the events and stuff like that, you know? I mean, if you find yourself like, you know, going full Walter Mitty, like I'm going to, you know, I just bought it a hot air balloon and I'm going to like turn it into a business and you like over and over again, like then, yeah, sure. But I think it's probably the death by a thousand cuts. With the, it, it, maybe food is like the best example of this freaking maybe sunk cost stuff. I don't want to waste food. It's like, well, buy less. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it's what? already you wasted it when you you. It's wasted. The, the waste happened you when you bought it. it. Right. That's right. Mm. All right. Listen, I I'm guessing you're gonna have to go to karate soon. Yeah, but I, I just I and at the risk of um, I just want to run down the beliefs that I landed on yes. so you can laugh at them okay uh, but we won't talk we won't don't feel we won't call talk about them there's no way I so um, uh, death brings oblivion I red, yeah. red versus blue is a false division that distracts us from important issues uh, Aaron Rodgers hello like can we just please get out of the drama of Aaron Rodgers for two seconds I don't even know what you're talking about that is a sign that you are living well um who's <laughs> aaron Rodgers? he is the dude? quarterback for the green bay packers who lied about being vaccinated and then said he's taking his medical advice from joe rogan okay i did um, i did hear someone talk about this yes okay I, um, didn't, I didn't catch the name this is one that i really wish we could actually talk about even though it's been talked to death by people that are much much uh, smarter than us and more is the social media is uh is currently a very bad thing and i like the word currently there because um, I just think it came without any, any, it's like the, uh, what was that? The greatest American hero? Like, here's your suit with no instructions <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you just keep flying into a building. Um, <laughs> oh, um gag. and then, uh, then there's no rules or guides for living that have a greater, that have greater standing than rules that, that I make up. And the, I just don't think, and. I don't know if there's a pithier way to say that, but mm. basically I feel like there's no revelation from on high. It's all coming from somebody's head and they may be, uh, they may have a whole set of technical skills or expertise that's different than mine, more wisdom, life experience or whatever, but there's no revelation. And the moment that I hand over the responsibility of guiding my own life to somebody else is the moment I, I have really diminished myself. Mm. I think really I'm following that. I think I'm following that. Like the the death by oblivion one, I I almost put on the list. Um, then you there's another one, and then there's the social media one. I just feel saying like the red versus blue. To oh yeah, me I didn't understand. Could that. it couldn't feel more like? I mean, it's just classic that the haves. How do you stay a have? You pit everybody against each other. We are well oh, pitted. Oh, so uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I get yo, you. Mean left, and, right? And, okay. And, it, and so much of the pitting is about just absolute nonsense. Like either things that, like, I don't like. Th this is a whole other separate topic for another conversation around media. I would mm. like to talk a little bit about media and, that, and how yeah. media is failing, and how media thinks it's God's gift to the world, and they're doing, um, you know, God's work. 
Um, now I, I work in the public sector, so we're pit- I'm pitted against like this is very oppositional relationship generally. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bitter mm-hmm. uh, because I do God's work, um, <laughs> and they say I don't. Um, but but Dad. like the the hands. it's such a confluence of things that are happening right now around the democratization of platforms the uh the bubble the bubble bubblification of yeah, my echo, access to information mm-hmm. the individualization of my information um and just a side note here again maybe like something would be fun to talk about why is it that when we're together i want to show you clips of shit it's because we're not looking at three networks where we've all seen the same show and i desperately want to connect yeah there's no cultural and, touch points and why is it that I'm watch, watching reaction videos of a guy that's just listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan for the first time? Well, it's because I would like to connect with somebody that that enjoys the same things I enjoy. Yeah. And I, I'm like, this is this, and the face of it seems like crazy. And mm. like, how could anybody spend their time doing this? And how could I be watching it? Right. But then it's like, then it becomes quickly sad because I don't have that shared culture experience, cultural experience and, and like bonding with anybody that I'm like watching this fucking stranger mm. listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan <laughs> and just like getting off on watching him react to Stevie Ray Vaughan. You're like, yeah, right. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. That is a really fascinating observation that there's something there that's very interesting. I've never thought about that before, but reaction videos is kind of like a, a, uh, asynchronous experience of sitting in the a movie theater where, well, yeah, like watch us, watch us further separate ourselves. So like the flips, the just the flip side of that. So here I am with a stranger. Uh, we are not actually interacting, but I'm connecting, and I f- I feel connected in this shared experience on Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. Then I'm in my bed with my wife, with Stevie Ray Vaughan on the screen, and she's playing Blockscapes, and I'm angry. Because number one, I'm supposed to be the center of your universe. And <laughs> why way. are you not just completely focused on me? You're playing this fucking game. Yeah. And two, like, I'm, I, I can't en- even enjoy the thing I'm watching because I'm, I'm used to being able to enjoy it with the person I'm with. Right. But the person I'm with is disinterested, which is. Makes it worse. Shouldn't, d- shouldn't diminish my experience because I should just be enjoying what I'm watching, but it does. It does. I got a great and one so, for you. Oh, sorry. Go so ahead, why. Finish. So that speaks to the value and the objectivity with which I value things mm. when it's very clear to me that like how other people respond to things with me informs my value of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really good observation. Like, like self-awareness. And I think it's also an interesting, I guess that's a cultural observation. This will make you laugh every, every once in a while, like maybe once a week. Erica loves to knit on the couch, and when she does it, she likes to watch YouTube videos of other knitters and and whatever. She's like catch up with her her podcasters, basically. So you know, I'll be cleaning up from dinner, and then she'll be sitting on the couch knitting, watching YouTube. And so I'll come in, and she's in the middle of a video or whatever. So I'll sit down in my chair and wait for a couple of minutes, and then I'll like get on my phone and like start checking email or whatever. And then like you know, and then like an hour later or two hours later, she's like, I guess we'll get I'll go to bed because we're not talking about anything. And I'm like, you've been on your computer the entire time, like. I mean, I've been on my phone too, but she was on the computer first. But you started it. Right. You started it, right? (laughs) (laughs) You went into your bubble first. I was waiting for you to put your phone down and then I could shut off YouTube. You know, it's, it is super weird. 
And I mean, I think, well, what are, that's a whole, that's a whole conversation. It is a whole other thing. Like I, I have this great discussion with, with Lily. It was delightful where, you know, she was saying, basically what she's talking about, writ, writ large, just take the internet and social media and all the access to information and the bubbles and all this stuff mm. and say to yourself, like, sometimes good things happen and, and then sometimes good things don't happen. And what's interesting to me is once again, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein technology provides us with something that we're just ill-equipped for. Ill-equipped for, yeah. And and I don't see a process afoot where we are becoming equipped for it. NFTs. And <laughs> totally and, it, and it's and it's dri- and it's driven and it's yeah. driven by commercial interests. Yeah. And here goes uh Zuckerberg with the meta and yeah. he's like I this is in the public interest to do this and it's like well, you're no. like the last person on earth who's qualified to make a statement like that, Mr. Zuck. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't, like on balance, I used to be much more of a techno utopian. I'm definitely not a techno utopian anymore. But when I look back at pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-all that stuff into the 80s, I like it a lot better now. Like there's some things that are way worse, but I like the opportunity way the opportunity. The, opportunity the opportunity is huger way this huger. is the thing it it's are we up to the challenge that's right right yes. like this is this is like this is insane what's available to everybody and the ability to connect yeah and the ability to not be alone uh against the majority is huge mm-hmm. um if that's not a total non sequitur what we're talking about but i don't think no i totally is, get but, what you're saying it, it's but it's got the flip but, side which is you're in your filter bubble and right and you just get this echo chamber of of yeah i'm right you're right no we're both we're so right we are both so right and everybody else is wrong and you're not getting any there's very there's not enough cross-pollination there's not enough connection like as connected as we are there's not enough like across it's not even the aisle i mean it's just like not enough and there's no editorial oh yeah no that's that's gone right like there's no like the platforms used to um segregate us in their own way and they used to uh, use their, you know, they were propaganda machines in their own way, mm-hmm. but now there's no editorial right. and there's no ability to, to say like, this is just, this is crap, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. I mean, you so. need to be, it goes back to a previous conversation. It's like, you're not the, you're not the creator of your thoughts. Things, people make you think things. What made you think that? And it depends on what you expose yourself to. And so it's like, you, you need to be vigilant. I think people, can take some control over that by being vigilant about what you expose yourself to. And it's really hard. It's, it's, it's much easier said than done because if it, I, I barely go out in the world, so I'm not seeing TVs. I'm not hearing people talk about stuff, but when, I went on, I went on Twitter yesterday and yeah. it was a huge reminder of why I haven't been on Twitter in six months. Yeah. Cause it's disgusting. It's successful, right? It, it is a total cesspool. Like I, it's a horror show and and just to say like it's not so much like it's so easy for me to be oh it's a cesspool i'm Mm -hmm. sure good things happen in twitter 100 yeah but but overall but so much of what i what i react to actually is not important for my life Mm -hmm. and yet it would engage me in a useless way Mm -hmm. uh and anyway yeah i had i had all social media deleted off my phone for a long time in in about Maybe six months ago, I put Twitter back and I deleted all my followers. And when you have no followers, 
because I use it to connect with people to come on the podcast and stuff like that. And it is useful as a tool, but I, but I use it as a crutch at night when Eric is watching YouTube, I go on Twitter and well, everyone has their platform, right? Like, yeah. so I, I'm Reddit. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and more recently TikTok. Yeah. And... I can't do TikTok. I mean, I, I, TikTok and Instagram are both like a narcotic for me. I have zero control over myself on either platform. So I, I've deleted those a long time ago. I, I have, well, like that, 45 so, minutes just disappeared. So and another, no another topic there is like, is deliberate use of the internet and, and the scrolling use of the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so, cr it's crazy. Yeah. All right. With social media conversation next time. It's so much more on that. It'd be really good to talk about that because I think there is, I, like you said, I feel the potential of it, but I yeah. don't feel where is the discussion happening for better governance of it and better and and forget governance because that implies some institutionalization of it but mm -hmm. where is the cultural and social because you brought up so the difference yeah. between those yes. two last time we talked mm -hmm. where are the social mores around you know le like leveraging this tool uh how, how can we browbeat each other into a better use of, of these tools because this is just a shit show right now <laughs> that's for sure so this is going to seem ironic, but I have to go take Maggie outside. I promised we would go hunt Pokemon with Pokemon Go. Listen, so, that is bonding experience. beyond lovely. Have a <laughs> say hi to her. Give Over her a hug phone. for me. She she's uh, she's the best. I'll talk talk to you soon. All right, man. See ya. All right.